You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 134. I got to hang out with Amber O'Neill Johnson, who runs the Heritage Mom blog. We dove into homeschooling. Y'all, I know so many of you are navigating this. And this episode is not just for folks who homeschool their kids, who are choosing to do that, but also if you're doing distance learning, if you are a teacher, like there are so many things within this episode that I was like, yes, I want everyone to hear that. Amber is incredible. I could have hung out with her forever. She's so great. And she gives so many tangible tips for navigating the day-to-day to support kiddos' education. We talk about what this looks like when you're at home all the time and what does it look like to set up a schedule and a routine and what if you have kids at different ages or stages, what does the planning and the prep time look like? As a parent, what does it look like to be in the parent role versus the teacher role? Amber's incredible and I'm so jazzed to get to share her with you today. If you want support as you're transitioning back to school, if you have kiddos who are going back to school and you want some help, we have a teacher guide and a parent guide for back to school. If you go to our Instagram at the link in our bio, or if you're in our Facebook group, there's a link at the top of the group where you can click and find those free guides to help you navigate back to school. Go snag those bad boys. They're totally free just to support you. We are here with you on this journey. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hello, hello, village. Today, I get to hang out with Amber O'Neill Johnston. She runs the Heritage Mom blog, and we're going to dive into homeschooling today. I know a lot of you are finding yourself homeschooling maybe when you didn't plan to, or maybe it's something you've always been considering and want to dive in deeper. I was doing some research on who we could bring on to have this conversation and just fell in love with Amber's content and her approach to homeschooling. I'm so jazzed to bring her to you today. Hi, Amber. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Hanging in there. Summer is winding down. I don't know how that happened, but that's where we are. Yeah, it feels like March was forever and somehow we're now in August. Right. <laughs> Not sure how we got here either. Awesome. Well, what, can you share a little bit with our village about you know, what brought you here and to this homeschooling journey? Sure. Um, so I have uh, four kids. They are, we're in the middle of birthday season. So in short order, they'll be five, seven, nine, and 11. And um, we have been homeschooling from the beginning. And I think what mostly led us in a unique situation, because I usually hear about husbands having to be dragged along, but my husband initiated this 
um, he, when our oldest was in preschool. So I wish I had this really sophisticated reason for why we started homeschooling, but it basically came down to, she finished, uh, you know, the three-year-old preschool class and she turned four during that year. And he's like, okay, great. She's going to go to kindergarten in the fall and everything. And I was like, no, actually she'll be in K4 or pre-K and then she'll go to kindergarten. He's like, what? A whole nother year? but she's brilliant and she's wonderful and she's this and that as every parent does. And he was just convinced that she was ready for kindergarten. And so he started researching how on earth he could get his little girl to be in kindergarten. And he came up with, she would stay home with me. (laughs) And so um, he was like, let's just try it for a year. So that's what we did. And I was very reluctant. I did not think it was going to go well. Um, And I tried it and I loved it. And we've been doing it ever since. That's so awesome. And so when you, when you kickstarted it, did you start off by like doing a curriculum at age four? Were you like researching homeschool curriculums or were you doing like more of an emergent curriculum? So my background is in early childhood teaching birth to five and ours is often emergent where we're writing our own curriculum kind of as we go, depending on the needs of the kids. Uh, So I'm curious about that for you. Has it always been that you found a curriculum that aligned with you or did you do an emergent curriculum? So we did kind of two things and I'm not sure how intentional all of this was, but this is just how it flowed. One was that we went a lot of places in our community. So I used the world around me to help with that. So maybe we would go to, you know, preschool days at the art museum or at the the history museum. They, there's so much programming that's just amazing. And I really hadn't been taking advantage of it. We had done th- we had done music class and little gymnastics classes, but I hadn't taken advantage of all that was happening at um, the museums around the city and in some other learning, more dedicated learning spaces until I decided to formally homeschool. So we spent a good portion of our week doing different things like that. And then I did purchase a curriculum. I purchased, um, it's called Sunlight, S-O-N. Um, and I, what I loved about it, and it was a preschool curriculum. And now I know I kind of chuckle at myself because it probably, maybe it wasn't necessary, but in a lot of ways, it launched me and set me up for success going forward. It was very, um, it's all literature based. So basically it was a curriculum that revolved around which books they had curated a list of wonderful books. And it's like, read these books on these days, these page numbers, and kind of talk about these things. And so I feel like it was a wonderful training for me in how to homeschool because I don't have an early childhood background. And I'm like, I don't know what we're supposed to learn this year. And I knew we were going to read great books, but I didn't know which books were great. And so, um, yeah, that kind of launched me. And some people in homeschool world, now that they've been doing their own thing and creating their own curriculum for years, I sometimes see online where people are snubbing the idea of someone buying a box curriculum. And I'm always standing up and saying, you know what? Mine was wonderful. I'm so glad that I did that. I recommend it to all people getting started. I I looked out on my porch one day, there was a big box. It had 36 weeks of lesson plans and all the books I needed for the whole year. And we had a beautiful, beautiful year of school. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that structure would be huge, especially getting started 
just to have something to go off of. Yeah, I think that was really important. And, and I do believe that at that age, you know, they're something super formal and strict and sitting down at the table and doing all this isn't necessary, but having just read this today. I mean, there's also, I was also, I had a baby and, you know, in short order was pregnant. And so there were these other factors too. I wasn't only homeschooling. I also was a mom and a wife and and all these other things. So while it may not be necessary because you could come up with your own books and your own schedule for when you're going to read them, it was helpful for me to just not have to think about that as much. And I could focus on just the time I spent with her. Totally. I'd like to dive into that a bit. Like, how does it, where do the waters kind of blend between like, we're homeschooling right now. I'm, I'm essentially your teacher mom. And now I'm your mom, mom. Like, how does that, how do you navigate that transition back and forth, I guess, in that same space? Yeah, I know people do it very differently. Different families do it differently. For me, it's just all woven in. So um, I'm always mom, even when I'm your teacher. And the good part about that is that you can climb on your teacher's lap and snuggle and kiss her. And she might nuzzle your neck a little bit while we're reading. Um, And the area where we have to watch out is making sure that what I say goes um, because I'm serious about what we're doing. And I think what has helped me is not being different during this off school time. Like I, I'm serious when we're not doing school too. Like if I say to do something, I would like it done. And also teaching them how to, um, how to disagree with me in a respectful Mm -hmm. way, because I do want them to be able to build, I, this is what I think, you know, or I don't agree that I should do this, or here's what really happened. You think I did this, but actually she did that. (laughs) Um, And so teaching them how to speak up um, and even correct something that I've said that they feel is wrong, but doing it in a respectful way. So I try to be consistent and not like teacher mom and mom, mom separately. And also I think life just forces that you can't have this hard line of demarcation because sometimes we're, I try to avoid it, but sometimes we're doing a lesson and the washing machine repairman shows up or, you know, I don't usually talk on the phone during the school day, but if my mama calls, then I answer it. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so, and I hope they do that for me someday as well. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, sometimes we're on and off and I might ask, be asking someone to wash dishes when they finish their math lesson before history. And it's just kind of, goes. And I think that's one of the things that I personally love about it is that school is life. And sometimes it makes it difficult for me even to answer certain questions because people will say, well, what time do you get done with school? And I'm thinking, oh, right before dinner. And they're like, oh my goodness, your kids are doing school all day long. And I'm like, well, well, wait, hold on. Let me think about this because now you make me sound crazy. So I'm like, well, they practice piano in the afternoon and that's on our school list, but they would do that even if they went to school. And, you know, they're, they're doing their handicrafts and my daughter is crocheting a little blanket for her doll. And well, she would do that also. So is that school? But I taught her that during the school time. It's on my schedule for school. And I'm like, okay, Maybe they finished up right after lunch, but then we did some other things in the afternoon that I have a hard time differentiating between what is school and what is life. 
So I think we're just doing stuff that's intentional all day and someone else may have to look in and give their opinion as to whether we're doing school or not. With spring on the horizon, but not quite here yet in Vermont, I've been looking for simple ways to give my body the energy boost it needs and keep up with healthy habits, especially on those tired mornings when I'm just feeling drained. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel more energized and ready to take on the day. It's a morning ritual that gives me peace of mind and then I'm getting comprehensive nutrition that supports my immune system and keeps me going all day. As a parent of two amazing kids, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so that I can continue to show up for the moments that matter. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm jazzed to welcome them as a new sponsor. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com village. That's drinkag1.com village. Check it out. I am loving ready-to-eat meals in this season of life. Things are just really busy over here with a toddler and a newborn, and I don't always want to be focusing on meal planning and ordering groceries. Factors, fresh, never-frozen meals are chef-crafted and dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's zero prep and zero mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup involved, and Holy moly, do I need that right now. I also love that I can order as much or as little as I need by choosing my meals every week, and I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, restaurant-quality meals with no cooking required, and there are more than 60 add-ons, like pancakes and smoothies, to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Head to factormeals.com slash village50 and use code village50 to get 50% off. That's code village50 at factormeals.com slash village50 to get 50% off. I love that so much. It's incredible because I like that's how I view the approach to learning in general, right? That it's not like I think one of the huge failures of our school system now is that like, oh, this 45 minutes is when we're learning math. It's like, no, we're doing math all day long if we pay attention to it. And how are we building it in throughout the day? Like when we're cooking with kids or I, my mom loves to shop and has never purchased something full price in her whole life. And so I learned so many, like I learned percentages by shopping with my mom, right? Like that was all built into my everyday life. And I think when we do try and compartmentalize when we're learning, I'm putting that in quotes, versus when we're not, that that's actually a huge challenge within the school system itself and a huge perk to homeschooling in that you can weave 
lessons in all throughout the day that are just a part of everyday life. I love that so much. Yeah, and I think part of it is the language. I know I, I do consultations with new homeschool moms. And one of the things I, I always recommend for them is to be careful with your language. Sometimes people say, well, I don't think my child's going to like homeschooling. And why, you know, how do you get your kids to love it so much? And I'm like, because everything that they love, I use the language of that being a school subject. My daughter love one of my daughters loves to bake. And I'm like, oh, it's so cool that we get to do cooking for school this year, you know? And she's like, yeah, that's awesome. And my creative daughter who loves everything with a needle and thread, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, handicrafts. I see, I put that on your schedule for Friday, but if you want to do it other times, you can do that as well. Um, let me know what school supplies you need for your sewing projects this year. And we can kind of place an order or go pick those things up. She's like, okay, great, mom. That's awesome. So, you know, I think that for them, they don't have this feeling of, oh, I don't like school. There may be subjects that they don't prefer, but the things they love most, I talk about them. Volleyball, that's PE. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about what you want to do for PE this year. Oh, you want to play volleyball, which you love? Great. Okay, we have that down. And so I think that's something really small, but it makes a big difference in terms of semantics and that in my children's minds, the things they love the very most to do with their time are considered school in our home. Yeah. And I think, you know, you were talking earlier about the difference between pre-written curriculum and writing your own curriculum. And I think that's often the biggest difference for me is like, can we take the pre-written curriculum and funnel it in through their interests? So we do have an emergent curriculum that they're excited to learn about. Like one year teaching preschool, I had a classroom that was obsessed with superheroes. And so everything that we were going to work to teach them skill set wise and cognitively, we just roped into superheroes. We wrote superhero books and they cut out superhero capes and made their own uh, superheroes, right? Like physically had to sew things and glue them and tape them and cut them together. And all of this was a part of our plan for them for learning, but they got to do it with something they were interested in. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that's a huge part of kiddos learning is finding like, you know, I have so many folks will say like, oh, I'm not good at math or I'm not good at science or I was never a good writer or whatever. And I think looking at like, okay, but how were you taught? What if we taught people within their interests, within subjects they were interested in and how much deeper they could go and how much more they could learn? I was always a human that was like, I don't like science. And now neuroscience is like my favorite thing in the whole world and I can't get enough of it because it's now presented in a way that I can absorb that isn't like, oh, this cell joins this cell. And like, here's what happens. Or let me talk about mitochondria. Like still to this day, don't care to hear about mitochondria, but am down with science. I just hadn't found the science that I liked. Oh, I think that what you're saying is critical. I, first, I was the same way with history. I was like, I'm never going to talk about, listen to, or even think about history again when I graduate. That's how I felt. And now it is my favorite thing. I love reading historical fiction. I love teaching my kids history. Um, and I realized that, you know, a lot of things, it's about presentation. First of all, no one inspired me to care. And I know that's not really someone else's job. It's within yourself, but you can be inspired. And so no one inspired me to care. And then it was so 
boring. It's almost like sometimes I think, you know, what we're doing to the children is putting them through boring boot camp. And I've heard people say, well, they have to get prepared for college because they have all these textbooks and it's boring. And I'm just like, yeah, but who does that to their children? We don't prepare them. It's like, hey, a lot of your, you, you know, you might lose friends when you get older and you're an adult and that's really painful. So let me rip your friends away from you now so you can practice. Like we don't, that's not how we do things. And so I think like, you know what, when they, if they encounter a boring, really horribly boring thing one day, I'm just going to be like, well, bless it girl. I'm sorry. And you know, you'll be all right, but I'm not going to train them for that. And so I think having some interest and excitement, but also what you said about, you know, you didn't like science. I have one of my children and I find that it helps to pick out the area of a broader category that she does love and really play that up. So she sees herself as a geologist. She loves rocks and all types of stones and minerals and things like that. But like anatomy and physiology, mm, not so much. So when she started saying things like, I don't like science, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no you don't care for anatomy and physiology, which is totally quite fine. But I see you and your interest and how you perk up um, when we deal with rocks. You love geology. So you indeed do like science, but that's a very huge, broad area. So I think even, again, I guess it goes back to changing the language. So she sees herself as a scientist. Scientists have specialties. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, for sure. And with history, I feel like also probably as a black woman, you probably didn't see yourself in the history that was presented. Oh, not at all. I mean, so we're like, I'm like MLK, Rosa Parks, check, check, got it. Slavery. Great. I'm going to make sure I sit in the front on that day. So everyone doesn't turn around and look at me because I'm just like, I don't know. I want to break this down for you guys. I actually am not enslaved. Um, so that you're all turning around and looking at me. My armpits are sweaty. My heart is racing. I'm getting hot now. And I don't know what to say. So I'm just smiling awkwardly, waiting for the teacher to keep talking. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a fun time for me. All I remember in history was um, like dates and battles and mm-hmm. <laughs> people's random names, most of which were men and they were old and dead. And yeah, if I memorized it, I, I guess my grade was based on how well I could memorize it. So there were a bunch of facts. If you memorize them, the more you memorize, the better your grade is. Um, and now, you know, my children, they wouldn't even recognize that. They would have no idea what you're even talking about. Even to the fact of, I remember being somewhere and this lady said, oh, how are you guys celebrating Black History Month? And my kids, their eyes got really big and they turned and looked at me and they were like, um, mom, how are we celebrating it? And I was like, it's every day for us. So it doesn't seem different. You know, like they weren't learning anything yeah. new. It, we always have that year round. And so they didn't, <laughs> it was just kind of funny. The lady was like, what's wrong with those people? Totally. <laughs> those homeschoolers. I mean, it is absurd, right? Like it is absurd. And another thing that when we look at homeschool, I mean, frankly, this should be changed throughout all curriculums, but a huge perk to homeschool right now is you do get to design that curriculum. You do get to say like, nope, we're going to teach you how history actually was or is. Uh, When I was in 10th grade, I got in an argument with my history teacher at the time. We were talking about the Vietnam War and I grew up in a very small town conservative farm town in Western New York. 
And I grew up in a liberal family in this small town. And so I had a different point of view and different perspective on this. And I raised my hand and I spoke up and I kept raising my hand. And I kept speaking up. And finally, he was like, Alyssa, we're done talking about this. You can leave the classroom or you can be quiet. Wow. And so I left the classroom. Wow. <laughs> I wow. was like, no, I'm not going to stay here. But like, how absurd. It just like is absurd to me that like the... 16-year-old in the classroom has to advocate for like, actually, I don't think this is how history was, is. Yes. (laughs) And I think that that is, it's probably one of, it's become one of the most important things for me. As I said, our reasons for starting out were just dumb. But since we've begun and we were on this journey, the benefits have just been amazing. And um, being able to teach history in a way that I feel is honoring to my children mm-hmm. is just one of the highlights um, of homeschooling for me. Now, it's also a pain point for a lot of homeschool moms because with that privilege comes huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of us, how do you teach what you don't know? And that's where it becomes where we're looking for a curriculum and most of them don't teach it well. And so I think where a lot of us are stuck right now is that we want to do it differently, but we need to rely on resources because we don't have the knowledge ourselves. We weren't taught Mm -hmm. and the resources are not well established, not like the traditional kind of history curriculum, which you can find all day long. So I think a lot of us are piecing things together and that's where in homeschool world, you know, blogs and things like that are like gold mines. You know what I mean? I think, and yeah, you can get recipes off of blogs and you can get this and you can get that. But when, when you're down in your grassroots trying to pull together things for your kids, we're, I feel like we're all in our basements, like, girl, what you, what are you using for this? I got this, I got this book over here. That one's out of print. I can't get it. You can borrow it from me. I found an online free PDF, you know, and we're just, throwing it together. Someday someone's going to pull it all together and it's going to be brilliant, but it's not going to be me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, when are you going to do it? Uh, (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you had this right on your website and I loved it. I I pulled it off just to be able to read because you talk about how you follow the educational principles of Charlotte Mason and you go into how you didn't feel like blackness was represented. And so you were like, I take what she left us in her writings and infuse a necessary dose of blackness into it. So when asked about my path, I like to say that in my house, Charlotte Mason has an Afro. And I was like, heck yes. yes. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's right. So there are a ton of homeschoolers that follow the principles of Charlotte Mason and I do as well, but I do it. It looks totally different in my house than what it's going to look like in someone else's house, because what I take from her the most are just that principles. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, um, people have taken those principles and put together book lists based on the ideals and, and direction that she gave. And that's great. And people, you know, some of them are free. Some people buy these book lists and they use them for their homeschool world. And, and I like a lot of things about them, but they were not working for my kids because we were completely missing, or we would be just in the years where you're studying enslavement. And I'm like, really? So 
then I'm just going to perpetuate the same thing that was done with me. I'm going to recreate that with my own children. And so I finally just was like, listen, I had to make that decision in my head because I had to decide, it was almost like a coming out of sorts because I had to be able to say out loud, I'm going to infuse black stuff into my homeschool. Just that statement alone was difficult for me because I, I, I was uncomfortable saying it. I, I didn't want, I wasn't sure how other people would think of that. And I know people say, you shouldn't care what other people think. I know, but I do. And so, um, I was afraid of what my white friends would think, um, if I said that, and I was afraid of maybe being able to do it because I didn't know the information myself. I just knew something had to change. And so finally, like writing it on my blog made it official. And I was like, all right, I said it. I'm going to do a whole bunch of black stuff. It's out there. I did it. I'm done. What are you going to say about it? You know? And, um, and it's just been really wonderful because what happened was that my friends were like, girl, what took you so long? That's awesome. I love what you're doing with your kids. Can you share some of it with me? And, you know, that was my white friends. And then my black friends were like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Can I do that with you? Yeah. And now other people are like, wow, I, I never thought that I could do that within the bounds of Charlotte Mason or even within homeschooling. And so I think that like overcoming my fear of being this like radicalized person has actually blessed a lot of families. Yeah, that's incredible. And we have a lot of teachers in our village too, who teach in school settings. And I hope that they can glean something from this as well of like, man, I can do this too within my classrooms, right? That like, even if I have this pre-written curriculum, I can differentiate to actually represent history and make sure that we are teaching history as it was and not just a whitewashed version. I think that's incredible. And I think it's so hard to be feel like you're the first at anything that you're ever doing and the fear's real and i'm glad that you pointed out the like i know i'm not supposed to again in quotes care about what other people think but we're social beings and we all have that social programming that's like am i going to be liked or am i going to be loved or am i going to be othered or am i going to be included if i do this and right it doesn't mean it stops us from doing it, but that feeling is real. And those, I think being able to acknowledge that is really important. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is critical for teachers too. I actually just on Friday delivered a virtual in-service workshop for um, a group of teachers at a school here locally where I live. And we talked about these very things. I mean, they transcend. It's not just about homeschooling. Those things apply to anyone who's touching children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important. So crucial. Um, Rad. Well, thank you. So let's break down like the actual structure. I know there are a lot of people who are probably like, okay, cool. Sounds great. This sounds really rad. How do you actually do this? How do you do this with kids at home? How do you do this? Like you said, where this is a job. Homeschooling is a job that you're doing that you have to invest time and energy and prep and planning into. And then on top of that, like parenting and being a partner and running a household and all of the life things that happen on the side um, and and then being able to weave those together. So what is the like structure? Do you have a consistent routine each day? Is it like, oh, here's our school days, like we follow this calendar or we're Monday through Friday and here's the structure or what does that kind of look like for you guys? And then day to day, is it the same routine? 
So I have a schedule, a routine, and but I'm flexible mm-hmm. with it. Um, and so in general, the routine is that I wake up as early as I can. And that is my alone time. And I guard it because it's pretty much the only time I'm going to be alone all day. Mm-hmm. And so during that time, that's when I do like my personal reading for me, if I'm reading a devotional or whatever I happen to be reading, I do my Bible reading. I do my, I, you know, post on my blog, uh, check Instagram, whatever it is that I want to do that is unrelated to my kids. I do during that time. And then the kids um, start waking up with the first person waking up. I start preparing breakfast. And so um, we're big breakfast eaters, so it's like hot breakfast all more every morning. And so um, during breakfast, our, people will start meandering in and they'll eat. And once everyone's done and the kitchen's cleaned up, then we sit down and start some types t- some type of lessons. And that I have a schedule for it, and it's different each day. So part of the reason it's different each day is because we don't do every subject every day. And the other part is just for variety. Like no one wants to sit down. And it's like time to make the donuts, you know, like we have to do the same thing every day. Um, And so it just switches it up. So the kids know they all have a schedule and the family schedule is integrated into it. And so we start our day pretty much all together and we do the things that the subjects that everyone can do. So this past year I had first grade, third grade, and fourth grade. And then we break off and I go, I choose to go with the youngest first. So I will, now we're about to start a new school year. So the second grade boy, he'll get me alone first after we do everything together so that his school day ends earlier. Mm -hmm. And then when he's done, he's off to play. And then this next oldest child gets me alone. And then the oldest child has, you know, she waits and she has me alone last, but they have a checklist of things that they're working on on their own. So they're not just sitting around waiting for me. And they're all highly motivated to be done because when they're done with those things on our schedule, then they have the rest of the the day to pursue their own interests. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Friday is movie night. And everyone looks forward to that so they can watch TV and watch a movie or whatever on Friday after dinner. So that's kind of our general schedule. But, you know, we take non-COVID times. We take field trips and we have piano lessons and we might hang out with friends and, you know, we're on a hike. So that's it's like when we're home, this is what we do, but we don't stay home just to do that. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think like structure is huge for kiddos and I think structure is often confused with like a rigidity and I think flexibility as humans is really important even down to the fact that like there are going to be days as we get older or that as adults we get to choose like I'm going to take a sick day today or I'm going to take a vacation day today or you know what I'm going to work on this later here's what my mental health needs today and I wish that we held space for that for kids too of like, oh man, it seems like you're having a hard time today. Like how can I best support you as the human so that you can best show up? And and maybe that means some flexibility throughout the day. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and then also giving them that language with how to speak to me. So it could be something along the lines of, mama, I know you told me to turn my light off last night at 10 o'clock when you were going to bed, but I was 
reading the best book ever mm -hmm. in my life. And I might have kept reading for a really long time. Like, I don't even want to tell you how late. So I'm super tired and super exhausted. And I wanted to know if I could have a movie day. So we have some movies and documentaries and things that I pull in the beginning of the year for those times, or if a child's not feeling well or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and so when you come to me and that very calm before you start acting out and, it, you know, losing your mind and you just confess that you stayed up all night reading that book um, and you just need a mental health day, I'm all about that. Like, I'm all for that. Like, yes, you can do yeah. that. Um, yeah, but if you come down here acting crazy, screaming at people and hitting siblings and blah, 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 then you're going back to bed. So you're not going to be watching a movie. So I think it's just like, again, teaching them, you know, how to process things and how to speak to people in a respectful way and letting them know what your needs are. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, I was recently having a conversation with my nephew who is 11 and he was annoyed at uh, the other humans who were around us. And we were talking about how there's only one person you can control in all of life. For the rest of your life, there's one person you can control. And we were talking about what it looks like to like notice when you're feeling out of control and how to regain that control of your body. And then how it changes, how people's response to you might change when your tone or how you say something changes. And I think, you know, there's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough one to navigate here for me because I want to be mindful of tone policing. And we know from a neuroscience perspective, if I come in and I'm yelling at you, you're going to spike cortisol, you're going to spike adrenaline, and we're going to be firing off each other. Yeah. Versus if I come in, and this is what I told him, I was like, but if you come up and you're like, Aunt Alyssa, I really thought that I was going to have a turn with this. Here's why. Can you help me figure this out? How my body responds to what you just did is different than if you come and you're yelling at me. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I think those are the types of things that I value in being able to consistently um, model and then also correct and redirect with having the children with me all the time. And it's funny because a lot of times people feel like homeschoolers are homeschooling to keep our kids away from others. And some people are, I mean, I'm sure, for sure. Right. But for me, I'm like, hey, you know, sometimes I'm keeping my kids away from others, you know, because they're not, they're, things are not right. We're working on character building and things. I have one kid, he's not the greatest friend. So no, he's not going to come to your house for a play date. And, and mom friend, I'm going to tell you why. Because when he gets frustrated, he gets mean. And I don't believe that your child should be subjected to that. And we're working through it. And so until he can demonstrate that he can be a consistently kind friend, even when he's frustrated, then he's not going to be able to have that experience right now for your child's sake. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it's important to see like, Yes, homeschooling, you can control who your kids are around, but my biggest focus is controlling what my kids are giving off and how they're impacting their communities. And mm -hmm. I want to work with them on a consistent basis um, so that they're, you know, pleasant, kind-hearted people. Absolutely. Um, I love that. I think like we're so, uh, <laughs> we we're creating a certification program for childcare centers and home daycare programs. It's a bunch of workshops, essentially professional development and covers a whole bunch of topics. And because what I found in early ed was that our social emotional curriculum 
uh, was heavily social without that emotional focus of like, okay, but what do I do when I feel upset? How, how can I be a kind friend if I don't know how to stop myself or recognize it, et cetera? And then the modeling component of teachers for sure. But I think that even looking, you know, K through five is where we're going next with the certification. And we get so many messages from teachers K through five that are like, I was never taught these things. Like I wasn't taught how to teach my kids this. I was given this social emotional curriculum or this positive behavior system. Uh, and I don't know how to teach the character aspect. I wasn't given that education. And I think that it is a missing component in general in our education across the board right now. And then they get to a certain age and we're like, no, I just expect you to have these skills. Right. <laughs> and we didn't teach it. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Well, I think for me, it's also encountering adults, like working with adults and being around. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this person has absolutely no coping skills. And although I see her as a kind person, she's letting all her cray out right now because she doesn't know how to work with people. You know, she doesn't know how to speak to people or whatever it may be. And I, I, I think, you know, wow, this person wasn't taught. They hadn't, they hadn't had the opportunity to learn those things. And, you know, it's funny when you were talking about um, the emotional aspect, you know, we started out wanting our daughter to be ahead in school. But honestly, once I got into it, she did two years of kindergarten. So we did kindergarten A and then we did kindergarten B. And so this is why she's, you know, she'll turn 11 here in the fall in fifth grade because 
I realized that homeschooling solved the issue of her, the areas of where she was ahead academically. Now I could address those and I could work her, you know, to her level. But at the end of the day, emotionally, she still was at that age in the proper grade. Like it, she wasn't ready to move on emotionally. And so that was hard because it's humbling as a parent because we're in this world of like, do more, do it harder, do it faster, get them done earlier, start them in school as soon as you can. And I was like, you know, I had to take a time, had to take the time to decide she's little right now. She has no idea what's going on. Like, I was like, you get to do kindergarten B. She was like, yay, you know? (laughs) And so I said, this is a lot better than trying to backtrack this later when she's older and understands what's going on. And I had to talk myself off a ledge where our perfectionism, the perfectionism Mm -hmm. inside of us, I'm like, I'm not holding her back. She's not, I'm actually putting her where she's supposed to be is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm correcting a mistake that I made, but it's not, um, it's, it's all positive and uphill for her. So anyway, I just feel like that, that is another benefit to homeschooling for me. Um, because if your child is ahead academically in one or more subjects, you can teach to their absolute level. You can do all you want for them while still keeping them in the socio-emotional space where they belong. Yeah, absolutely. And where they are, just meeting them where they are. Yeah. Totally. And I, there's a school nearby us here um, called Bridge School. It's an independent school. And I love it because they don't do set grades across the board. They do like whatever, wherever you are in math, like here's the cohort you're with for math, wherever you are in writing, here's the cohort you're with for writing. And it's all based off of like, where are you developmentally in different spaces right now and meeting them where they are to then build up those skills in the, what feels like for me a developmentally appropriate way rather than like, oh, you're behind in this, but you're ahead in this. Yes. I think that's really, I think that's really good. And it's, um, I've seen that within my own home in a little, in a different way mm-hmm. in that my kids who are, you know, a- advanced in certain areas, they have no clue. Mm-hmm. They don't know. They're just doing their stuff, you know, and the ones who are behind the standard of what would be held at school in certain areas also have no idea. So it's really funny to hear the kid who's a little behind the schools in math say that math is one of her favorite things to do because she just doesn't know, you know? And so, and I'm sure she's going to be fine, but I'm thinking like, wow, if someone told her, you know, you're behind, you know, you, you aren't at the same level that the other kids here are or whatever, that that would really probably change. But right now she thinks she's smoking. She's <laughs> math minded, you know? And I just think that's great because you are where you are and you'll be where you're going to be. And it'll all, I think it'll work out obviously barring no issues. There could be stronger issues, but um, so I love the idea of working in a cohort where the child doesn't have any shame associated mm-hmm. with it. Also doesn't feel um, like that, that child's above other students because they have been blessed in this one area. Yeah, totally. And I look at my niece and nephew are homeschooled and they are about to turn eight and they're twins and they are, couldn't be more opposite of humans in, in all areas of life, but also in like what interests them and, and how they learn. And my nephew could do really wild math facts from a really young age and like numbers, like he can see it. It's fast for him. He can get it. And his sister has to work a little harder at that 
but she can write a story like nobody's business. And watching them navigate that from a place that isn't comparison, which I think is also hard when you're twins and uh, has been really cool that she's just like, oh yeah, Spencer really loves math and he's really good at doing these things. And this is how I like to do that problem. And just noticing that like, there are different ways to go about that and it's okay to have different interests and that it's also okay if every subject isn't our favorite subject. Um, Oh, I say that to my kids all the time. Like you don't have to be superior top star number one in everything you do, because I felt that way growing up and I'm not blaming my parents because they never told me that, but I got that message from somebody Mm -hmm. and it was like straight A's or bust. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you like or what it's doing to you or what interests you might want to pursue outside of that. Um, And I remember being in college and the first time I got a B, I know this sounds crazy, right? I lost my mind. I could not, I called my mom. I was crying. I had like went to see the professor. I wish I could apologize to him now. (laughs) I was like, how could this be? B, how could this happen? You know, because I felt like a failure. Like Mm -hmm. I can, if I, if I work hard enough, I can be great at this, you know, and everyone wants me to be great at this. And it's not that I don't want my children to excel, but I just want them to know that my um, feelings for them are not tied to how well they excel in any single academic subject, but that I would like to see them do their best, not Mm -hmm. for me, but so for, for their own growth, um, and that's going to look different for all them, but I'm always telling them, don't compare yourself to your sister. Don't compare yourself to your brother because you know, good and well, that that's their gift. Like they were born that way. You can't compare something you work at to what someone was born with, but you have this other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's good. And, And I do that even with my girlfriends, because sometimes I'll have friends who are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you blog and you're doing Instagram and you're doing all this. And all I can do is like make it through the day. And I'm like, yeah, but what about these other things that you do that are so amazing that I can't touch? And we're in different life stage. I'm like, you have a baby on the breast. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like, so you can't like, I, I just think like we can't compare as adults and you can't do it with your children either. Totally. Absolutely. I love it. What did that look like for you when you had, I mean, you're pregnant or giving birth or then feeding a a newborn or taking care of a young infant throughout this journey as a mom of four, how did that ebb and flow for you over the years? Yeah, there are times, I mean, every season's different. There were times where I was like on fire. I'm like, I got this. We're on a schedule. I can predict this. Um, And every personality is different. For me, a baby that's nursed is easier for me than a baby, a toddler who's weaned Mm -hmm. um, because I have a automatic soothing mechanism that, um, you know, I can use at any time if I need to finish something else or while I'm reading to your sister, you know, and I have a baby on the breast, but when the baby is weaned or the child's weaned, that's when things get hard for me. That could be different for someone else. I know some people are like, Oh, I just can't wait to stop nursing. So it just depends. Um, so the hardest times for me have been with a freshly weaned toddler who now has demands that need to be met that I can't meet the way I'm used to meeting them. Um, and so my time is being pulled, but I think there are times where I haven't done, I haven't done well. I don't remember those times as much. Um, 
but I was just trying to make it, you know, I was just yeah. trying to make it. And then there are other times where everything was working. So I think that, um, I have the ability to go into bare bones mode and that's just like where I'm like wife and mom, that's all I got right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, my business is not, I mean, cause I've always been a small business owner. So I, my business may be suffering to be honest, you know, sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sorry about that, you know, or I might not be the best friend right now, but luckily I feel like I'm honest with my friends and I'm just like, listen, girl, I'm probably not going to be able to hang out for like at least six months. I can't even see anything coming up before then. And they're like, I feel you, you know, I feel the same way. You know, I was stressed about trying to make it to dinner this week or whatever. So I think just admitting that I'm human and I have limits and the limits change. They're not always the same. I love that. I love it a lot. Just the humanness of it all. And I, again, like hope teachers are pulling from this too. Like there have been seasons in as a teacher where I'm like, I'm not my best self, like depending on what's going on in the world or what's going on with me personally or whatever, where I'm getting through some days and I'm not like ready to rock (laughs) every day and just giving ourselves that grace. Absolutely. So important. When you are designing the curriculums, where does that time come in for the like prep and planning? You know, everyone has their checklist that they have to do and um, while they're waiting for you and just like setting up all of it, how do you build in that prep and planning time into your day? Where does that come in? So we mostly school year round, not to fit in a whole lot of extra stuff, but I'm spreading out what other people might do in nine months. I'm spreading it Mm -hmm. out for a full year so that our days are less um, full. And so the, we usually though, will take three to four weeks off in July and that's my planning time. And so I'll plan out the whole year, um, but not down to um, like, I'll, I'll, I break it up into terms, three terms, they're 12 weeks. So I will say like, this is what I want to achieve in each, within each term in terms of how much of a book will complete or which books we'll read. But I don't actually break down the page numbers until Sunday evenings. So on Sundays, I will go through and add the page numbers to the kids' checklist. Their checklists don't really change. They're going to do this. They're going to read this. They're going to whatever, write this. They're going to write something and I might change what they write. They're going to read something and they're going to say what they're going to read um, and things like that. And so the reason I, I used to even put all the page numbers and everything in the summer. So I was like, I am a queen. <laughs> like everything's done for the year until you start getting behind or you, someone gets sick or you're, and I'm like, Oh, it's all ruined. (laughs) Um, and so I decided that it's better to just take a snapshot of that week. I can also then by Sunday, I know like if we're going to take a impromptu beach trip or if grandma's coming to town or whatever, and I can adjust that weekly schedule Mm -hmm. for that. So I plan out the year and I know what we're going to achieve each term, but within that, week to week, I make adjustments on Sunday evening and print new checklists that will be waiting on the table for the kids when they wake up Monday morning. Cool. That's rad. I love that. And that's something I found, you know, like going to visit my brother and sister-in-law and the kids. It's so nice. Like I show up and they're like, oh yeah, we, Aunt Alyssa's here. And so we're not going to do school today or we'll do tomorrow or whatever. And having that flexibility is so nice (laughs) to just have life. It's been really good. And I think like some of my, like my father-in-law is 95. Like if they have an opportunity to be with him, yeah, 
schools out. Do you know what I mean? So I love that we can prioritize some of the things that are important in life beyond just the academics. And the thing is we always finish it. That's another thing I love about going year round. It's just like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we have extra three months to do it. Right. And I'm sure just now that you're in it, you know, we always finish it. Yeah, we right? do. Like, and, and once you have that under your belt and you realize like it is going to get done, it's like a to-do list. Like there's always going to be more and what needs to get done will always get done. And so dwelling over it is a choice. Rad. So I was going through your website. It was like, oh my gosh, so jazzed to find out that you offer calls. So if folks are wondering how they can learn from you, connect with you, potentially schedule a call to dive deeper into building their toolbox if they're planning to homeschool or looking at homeschooling, where can people connect with you? What is, what, what's the best way for that? Um, so my blog is heritagemom.com and on there, yes, you can sign up for uh, one-on-one consulting. And I also have things called heritage packs on there. And so they're basically, um, it's an opportunity for people who don't actually need to speak with me, but what they really want is to add some flavor to their homeschool curriculum and they can get um, black history lessons, lesson plans that they can just purchase right there and they can overlay them with whatever history program that they otherwise love, but they realize they're missing, completely missing the color. Um, And then you can find me on Instagram at Heritage Mom Blog. And that's mostly it. I have a very pathetic YouTube channel. If they can find it, then good for them. And hopefully they won't judge me too much by it. (laughs) I love it. We'll link all those in the blog post too. Amber, thank you so much for hanging out with me. This is rad. I feel like I could get nerdy with you. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.